93.9 The Eagle, broadcasting live from the Zimmer Radio Group World Headquarters. This is the CEO Roundtable with Fred Perry. This city is my city. Ready for interviews with movers and shakers from our community as we dive in for a deeper look inside Columbia. Now, here's your host, Fred Perry. And welcome to this weekend's edition of CEO Roundtable. Fred Perry, glad that you have tuned in. Got a great show planned for you today. This is kind of a tradition on the CEO Roundtable. We invite uh, Jeff McClellan, who's the former uh, chairman of Landmark Bank uh, here in Columbia, uh, to join us. And uh, Jeff has been uh, tracking uh, Boone County and Columbia's economy for more than 30 years, probably 35 years now. But Jeff, great to have you in the studio. Thanks for having me. I know you're a busy guy. In retirement, you're still busy, and we appreciate you taking time out to uh, come in. Remind people, our listeners, about your background. People will remember you. Uh, you, As my recollection, you came to Columbia in the late 80s to become president of First National Bank. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah. I was recruited by the Landrum family to come and be president and CEO of, uh, of, of at that time, First National Bank. Right, right. And, uh, you know, that wasn't my first rodeo, though, here in mid-Missouri. Right. I, I came here uh, when I was 14 years old. Yeah to attend Missouri Military Academy over in Mexico yeah. for high school. My parents, I grew up in Mexico City, Mexico, mm. and my parents wanted me educated up here in the U.S. My uncle, Don Dugan, was with State Farm yeah. here for many years. Yeah, absolutely. And my, gran- my grandparents were over in Illinois, so <clears throat> this was a logical place yeah. for me to go. So uh, help me understand uh, Missouri Military Academy, which is still a, a thriving concern. It is. Uh, is that where parents sent their, their bad sons, or is that just an opportunity for a, it's is not like, being sent off to boarding school this was a uh this was tell us why people sent their kids to missouri military academy well it's similar to going to a jesuit catholic school oh you know, okay. a, lot, a lot of discipline a lot of structure and right. and and honestly it it helped me tremendously in terms of um just life skills yeah like, you know leading a disciplined life and, so you weren't being punished yeah you no, were actually being rewarded all. no not at all in <laughs> fact that was very common for yeah People like myself, or actually kids like myself, that grew up as expats, if you will, yeah. in Mexico City and and other you know other cities around the world, mm-hmm. and parents wanted their kids educated in the U.S., so they would send them back here to military school, yeah. prep school, you know. And, and my brother went to a place in in Austin, Texas, okay. St. Stevens Academy. Yeah. Okay, so that so, was very common. Uh, did you ever have the opportunity to go back to Mexico City? Oh yeah. And, yeah, many times. And how did it? How has has it changed since you were a kid? Oh, when I was born there in 1948, there were mm-hmm. two million people. I think today there are like 25 million people oh, in that valley. Wow, wow. You know, it's it, it it's just amazing how much it's grown and how dense it is. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, the country has prospered. I mean, even though it's still not the United States of America, right? Uh, if you don't believe me, look at our southern border. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a uh, it, it's quite a city. I mean, it's a very cosmopolitan city. And if you've traveled the world, it was modeled after Paris and Madrid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I mean, same sort of architectural development there. Yeah. And uh, it, it really, I, I love Mexico. Yeah. I was born and raised there and and have a soft place in my heart for the, the country. Yeah, we, we talk about Don Dugan, your uncle, every time mm-hmm. you come on the program. But uh, he was quite a presence in the community. He you was. know, back then, State Farm had a had a huge presence in the community. And and the the local executives were very active in the community. And, and Don Dugan was certainly uh, 
no exception. Just just a, a great all around guy. Um, so, did you get to spend a lot of time with him while you were here in, in, in Missouri? Okay, and you know, it was things like when I was at MMA. Um, Thanksgiving weekend, I'd come and spend the weekend with my cousins here yeah. in Columbia, Missouri. Yeah. You know? And it was very convenient because, you know, when you would, it, I was too far to run home for Thanksgiving or, yeah. you know, even spring break. Yeah. And it was very convenient just being able to come over here. So I saw quite a bit of Don and his family. Yeah. And, and yeah. they had, I have cousins my age. Yeah. Uh, so there were five of them. So. so you had a front row seat. Uh, you know, the banking industry has, has changed so dramatically in the last 10, 15 years. And, and you really had a front row seat, uh, to sort of see a family owned bank, uh, transition into something that was very attractive to a, a large conglomerate like Simmons. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about your experience at, uh, at uh, First National Bank, Landmark Bank, and, and then what became Simmons Bank? Uh, when I got here in, in 1987, mm-hmm. uh, First National Bank was about a $120 million bank. And we had seven other banks in southern Missouri and, and southern Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. That the Landrum family owned. That the Landrum yeah. family owned. Yeah. Actually, uh, Mark Landrum, who was the guy that hired me, uh, his dad had started the banking business, if you will, right after the Depression. Down, wow. down in southern Oklahoma. And was that Carl Landrum? Was that his that was father? Carl. Okay. That was All Carl right. Landrum. All right. And, uh, you know, essentially what we did over time, I ran the bank here in Columbia, First National, for 10 years mm-hmm. and became head of the holding company. And it was my job, you know, obviously under the, the uh, leadership of Mark and the board to build a, a multi-bank holding company, mm-hmm. which is what we did. We yeah. moved into Texas. When I retired, we were about a billion and a half. And when they sold, they were about three billion. Wow. And we had 40 some locations in three different states and, you know, centralized systems and centralized audit and accounting and all those yeah. things at loan review. And, and that made the bank very attractive. And, you know, it sold for 400 million bucks. Wow. So, you know, that's amazing. Yeah. And, uh, are there very many family owned banks that size anymore? Fred, when I got into the business back in uh, 1973, there were 18,000 banks in this country. Yeah. And that number, I believe now is around four, 4,000, four, 5,000. Wow. wow. So yeah, there's been a lot, a lot of, of consolidation, mm-hmm. a lot of consolidation yeah. and, it, and it's a different game today. <clears throat> yeah. It's an entire, what, what do you think has changed the most? I mean, I just, uh, you know, I, I had been a business customer for, for years and you sort of, you learn to deal with banks as a, um, a business that wants to borrow money to grow and expand. Um, and so you have that relationship. There's that consumer relationship. Um, what, what do you think has changed the most, uh, as banks have consolidated? It, there's less, less personal banking mm-hmm. going on, less relationship building than there used to be. Yeah. I mean, we were, what we wanted to be was a quintessential community bank, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you and I got to know each other as, you know, as customers. Yeah, right. And, um, you know, that, that is disappearing. I mean, I'm not saying it's gone because it's not particularly for larger commercial customers, but they're automating so much, you know, the, yeah. of the business that, uh, it, it's losing a lot of the personal touch. And you, you have, um, fewer reasons to go into a brick and mortar oh, location yeah. for a bank. And, and oh, so yeah. that's also complicates relationships. And, but it seems like, when you walked into the lobby and everybody knew your name, that type of banking is sort of gone. That's right. And about the only place it still exists is in your rural areas yeah. where, you know, you still know the local banker, but it's tough to be a small bank with all the regulation that they have today. It's tough to be a small bank and survive. Yeah. I mean, you, you need, you know, you need size. Yeah. 
and um, to be able to afford all the regulation. And, oh, and unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, it's just crazy. So the reason we have you here today is because you started uh, doing something over 30 years ago that really um, has become sort of a... Uh, a valued community asset, but you, you have been sort of the official record keeper, scorekeeper for Columbia's economy, Columbia and Boone County's economy over the years. And, you know, for years you presented to chambers of commerce and, and, uh, uh, service clubs and, and anybody who was interested. And it's, it's been very fascinating to see Columbia's sort of dynamic economy and, and what it's responded to and what it doesn't <clears throat> respond to, uh, and how it's kind of evolved over the years. And, and, uh, so I kind of want to jump in, but remind us how you got, uh, you have a great story about how, why you decided to do this in the late eighties. Um, if you recall, I came here from the state of Texas mm-hmm. and, during the mid-80s, the banking system in Texas was almost under siege. It, there was a big run-up. Obviously, Texas is an oil-based economy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's much more diversified today than it was then. Yeah. But it was an oil economy. And, you know, we had the same uh, volatility in oil then that, that you have even today. Yeah. You know, barrel of oil was maybe 10 bucks, and then went up to 50 bucks, which fueled a lot of speculation. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, the oil market crashed. And guess yeah. what? You know, a lot of a lot of problems anyway i when i came here i thought you know i'm just going to look at the local economy and i'm going to control what i can and try and mm-hmm. forecast what's happening yeah so i started tracking all these different indicators and uh you know i was an intelligence officer when i was in the military during vietnam and uh, i tried to triangulate on you know yeah. what does the local economy look like yeah so yeah. that that was the genesis of it right yeah there. and it's, it's been very helpful it's helped people make uh important business decisions and and uh so what are, when you look at the top two or three things that you watch mm-hmm. uh what what are the one or two things that you pay closest attention to that really would indicate or represent the value or the the stability of an economy um i probably start with real estate because mm-hmm. if you're a banker probably 50 to 70 percent of your assets are real estate based in terms of loans. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's commercial mortgages, uh, obviously individual mortgages, development loans, uh, just all kinds of real estate lending. And, yeah. and that's where you're probably most vulnerable as well, because when there's a downturn in the market, values change. Yeah. And they can change dramatically as they mm-hmm. did in Texas. Yeah. So, you know, that's one of the things. The other thing is, you know, you want to have a growing community. And I, I might add, Columbia has been a wonderfully growing community mm-hmm. for the 35, six years I've been here. Yeah. And um, that that's a great underpinning, if you will, for a, a fairly stable economy. And, um, you know, for years we were uh, sort of a, a uh, education, healthcare, and insurance-based economy here. And, and that insulated you or us mm-hmm. from a lot of uh, problems that the nation's economy you know, was affected by over, over time. Right. And, uh, you know, that's changed a little bit. And I think we'll get into that a little mm-hmm. bit later, but, uh, you know, those, those are the things that you watch, you know, what's happening to our local uh, employment in terms of job growth, what's our population doing, what's going on in the real estate business. And, and I know we're going to dive deeper into some of those things yeah. as we go through here, but, uh, those well, are the things. Yeah. You watch. Let's, let's start with real estate because I, it's been a, a very interesting market with, uh, uh, it, it, if you're a realtor, it feels like it's either feast or famine, but I, I think that, uh, the dynamics of the real estate market are very different in terms of the way that inventory comes onto the market and, and so forth. But when you look at the health of, of the, the real estate portion of our economy, what do you see in 2023? 
it's it's been a difficult market and it's really been driven by two things um if you recall the fed started raising rates late i might add in 2022 march of 2022 they they control the fed funds rate which is basically reserves that are exchanged uh, between banks you know overnight mm-hmm. funds and that type of thing and you know that went from zero zero to point two five to its current five and a quarter to five and a half, and and that was raised rather rapidly. You know, yeah. like from March of twenty twenty two to this summer, mm-hmm. this past summer. Would would you have ever dreamed at the end of twenty twenty two when we were talking? Uh, I remember they were predicting that there might be six rate increases over the course of of a twelve month period. I think we ended up having a total of thirteen. I th- I think if if my memory serves me correctly. Right. So what a disruptor. Well, it was because if you would just, you know, go back to March of 2022, uh, you could get a 30 year fixed rate mortgage in the high twos or, or three, 3%. Yeah. And, you know, in October of this fall, it, it got very close to 8%. It's, yeah. it's backed off about a hundred basis points yeah. since, since then. Mm. But, you know, you go from 3% to 8%. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty significant increase. Do you co- recall what the rates were back in the late eighties when you first came to Columbia? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember getting a mortgage at fifteen percent, and they went as high as eighteen percent. Yeah, you know, as in yeah. 80, 81, 82. Yeah, but look at what inflation was then. Yeah, and that was another factor. Yeah. Anyway, high, much higher mortgage rates. Yeah. Big, one of the big driving factors. The second one is though that we caused ourselves a huge problem. Who did not have a three percent mortgage back in that low rate era? Yeah. I mean, if you bought a new home, you financed it at three percent or less, yeah. maybe a little more. Yeah. And and if you did not buy a new house, you refinanced your existing mortgage yeah. at three percent or a little yeah. less or a little more. So yeah. what that did is that all of a sudden, if you wanted to move up, you know, sure you can, but at an eight percent mortgage or yeah. a seven percent mortgage, and, and it's a huge difference in cost. Therefore, the affordability of housing has gone way down. It's as bad now as it was twenty years ago. Yeah. So the demand didn't necessarily change, but certainly the supply did. Yeah. I mean, it's well, just people did not want to list their house. And talking about you know circumstances, the pandemic. I mean that that caused a real estate frenzy. You know, from about um, summer of twenty until well until they started raising rates in in the spring of twenty uh, twenty two. So a lot of activity. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, I mean, it just uh, you know. They, they sold everything they could sell yeah because everybody you know let's go back they were a lot of people were working remotely yep and they figured out kids were home yeah and had to be homeschooled yep you know so you needed more room yeah you just basically needed more room yeah so it was certainly a, a seller's market no question yeah no question um so you see rates in the last few weeks uh starting to, to get back down to some cases the low sixes um what, not quite not uh, quite okay yeah upper uh, sixes okay what yeah. what are you seeing in terms of what might be happening in the next uh, few months okay this is anecdotal but um i've talked to several people uh, mm-hmm. over the last month or so mm-hmm. and they're seeing activity beginning to increase yeah. now i think for it to be steady rates need to get more down to the let's just say five percent wow well, that's speculative yeah. on my part yeah that said um you know clearly the fed has indicated that They've about finished raising rates. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at the Fed Funds futures market, you know, they're pricing in three, maybe even four now uh, rate reductions next year. Yeah. Well, we could be back at a 6% mortgage, you know, next year. It, you know, Fred, nobody knows what's really going to happen. Let's yeah. not kid each other. But it looks the t- like the tendencies are towards lower rates uh, 
over the next six to 12 months. Yeah, that's the voice of Jeff McClellan. When we come back from this break, we'll continue our conversation about Columbia's economy. You're listening to the CEO Roundtable on 93.9 The Eagle. This is the CEO Roundtable with Fred Perry on 93.9 The Eagle. Welcome back to the CEO Roundtable Show. Fred Perry, your host this weekend. We are visiting with Jeff McClellan, uh, who has been keeping uh, a, a good track on Columbia and Boone County's economy. Former chairman of the board of Landmark Banks here in mid-Missouri and in Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, and uh, he has continued after retirement uh, f- following uh, Columbia's economy and is a great resource. We have him on at the end of every year. Uh, to talk about uh, our local economy. Let's jump back into real estate, Jeff, and, and talk about um, median home values and, and uh, the, the th- other things that you track in that industry. Yeah, if if I can, I'm going to start with another stat first. And yeah. You know, just how many homes are, are being sold this year in the market? Don't know that yet. The latest numbers from the Columbia Board of Realtors only go through October. But mm-hmm. let me go back. As recently as 2021, again, we talked about the real estate frenzy post-pandemic. Yeah. We sold 2,821 homes in this in Boone County. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year, 2,254. So it dropped, you know, by about 600 homes mm-hmm. a year. This year, I think we're at 1,707 right now. I think it's going to end up the year about 1,950. Wow. But, and what's interesting about that is that text takes us back to levels of about 2012. Mm. So, you know, we're going back a decade wow. or more when we saw that low level yeah. of, of housing sales. Huh. Interestingly... Uh, when you look at median median value, um, right now the average home in Columbia, and this was for the month of October, was three three hundred forty three thousand seven hundred. Wow! And that's up from last year three twenty eight to sixteen. Goodness! What's really interesting though is if you if you go back and look at like twenty eighteen and nineteen, you know the increases were like ten thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden in twenty 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 it jumped twenty thousand in twenty twenty two. Uh, it jumped thirty thousand uh, last year in twenty in twenty twenty two. It jumped another forty thousand, and then this year it's up about seventeen thousand. Wow! So homes are still retaining their value, mm-hmm. and that's due to low inventory. Yeah, that's due to that phenomenon we talked about, where people are locked in at low rates and they can't really afford to to step up. And those those low inventories are causing or buttressing, if you will home values mm. that, that's surprising yeah so if you're a realtor uh you may not be selling as many homes but you're certainly getting a much higher percentage of commission well same percentage of commission but same it's off, a, off of a uh of a, a larger base. number yeah base. absolutely so yeah. uh, maybe you're faring okay considering yeah. the fact that home sales have home prices have gone up so much when you asked earlier about <clears throat> uh inventory and days on the market I'd, yeah i'll jump into that uh right now we're averaging 32 days on the market for this year which uh is actually very good yeah um now that's up from the last couple years last year was 19 oh wow and in 2021 it was 22 however if you go back to 2018 and 2019 we're looking at 57 and 54 days wow so you know we're still way less than pre-pandemic yeah but it is trending up yeah it is trending up so do you see that across the board is uh, how are we doing with the the houses that are that are priced say over five hundred thousand? Uh, is that, uh, you know, which is 
you're becoming more and more the, uh, closer to the median home value. But but how are we doing in, in the different pricing categories? Uh, I'll get into that yeah. in a second. Let okay. me let me get into the uh, uh, in, uh, months of, of supply of inventory. Uh, right now, it's at 2.4 months mm. for the overall market. And I'll, I'll try and break that down. And that you. means that um, if every home that is listed sold, it would take 2.4 months. months. That okay. is correct. All right. That is correct. Now, um, that is up from the last couple of years. You know, it got as low back in uh, in 2021. It got as low as 0.8 months. Goodness. Uh, less than a month's, in, uh, month's worth of inventory. Yeah. However, when you go back again to pre-pandemic 2018-2019, we had four months and three and a half months, respectively, mm. of inventory. So while we're at two and a half, approximately, yeah. we're still well below where we were pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. Now you you asked that question. I'm gonna. I've got some data on that, which is kind of interesting. Um, you know, I also want to ask you about. You know, you, you certainly remember 2007, 2008 very well. I'm sure. Uh, is, is there anything about that bubble, or anything about those market conditions that could uh, that would be present in today's uh, you know situation? Is there anything? Are, are there any danger signals? Is there any? chance that there's going to be a major disruptor in the housing market or is it more solid today than it's it's, it's more solid today if okay. you remember the big deal then was the subprime lending mm-hmm. and you know that people were making loans that they shouldn't have been making and and honestly regulators have tried to make sure that doesn't happen again yep uh the other thing i think you need to keep in mind and i this is a hard number to find because it's all over the place but we, we have uh we are below where we ought to be in terms of uh, market supply, mm-hmm. about three and a half million single family homes. Wow. And I think that's a pretty good number. I've seen numbers as high as seven million mm. and I've seen them a little lower than three and a half. But mm-hmm. I, we have a, we have a, a, if you will, less about three and a half million dollars, three and a half, excuse me, three and a half million uh, single family homes less than what we actually should have, mm. which means the rental market is strong. Yep. And that low affordability is also causing that. And as you know, uh, high rents are still a, an issue with inflation. Yeah. And wow. they're going up. Yeah. So anyway, coming back to your point, um, if you have a home that's listed in the, say, 200 to 250 range, month supply is 115, remembering that it's 241 for the overall oh, market. Okay. Yeah. However, if you've got a home that's listed between uh, 500,000 and 750, it's 4.8 months worth oh, of supply. So they're still hanging on. They're, uh, 750, they're to, 750 to 999 is nine months. Wow. Over a million is 10 months supply. So, you know. Yeah. So it's, uh, so if you have a house in the house by you, it's going to, you're going to sit on it for a while. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, very interesting. Um, you know, we, it seems like, are there anything in the numbers that would, um, <clears throat> and maybe the, the numbers, show it themselves but it seems like realtors will tell us they've had a lot of people from the coast coming in transferring to um mid-missouri from uh the east coast to west coast capital gains is a is a i guess a huge issue in terms of uh how they buy their next house and, and so forth is there anything that um do you see anything that supports that in the numbers uh, i really don't except anecdotally if you talk to realtors mm-hmm. there are a lot more cash per purchases than there ever used to be interesting yeah, because people have the cash from cashing out on the yeah. east or west coast yeah and uh and they don't need finance yeah and that you know? makes them a very attractive buyer absolutely yeah 
Fascinating. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the university. That is kind of what the key cog in our economic wheel here and, and economic engine. What, what do you see happening at the university in terms of enrollment and, and other factors that, that you pay attention to? You know, if you look back, Fred, to um, actually, I find this interesting. When we had a successful football team yep. back when Chase Daniel was here yeah. and then later, you know, Blaine Gabbert and uh, James Franklin. Yeah. Um, the university actually got up to 35,000 students. I believe it was in 2014. Mm-hmm. And then we had the protests. <laughs> and, you know, it's kind of like all hell broke loose. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of enrollment, and they actually got down to about 28,000. They lost 7,000 students, not in one year, but over a couple, three right. years. And today they're at 31,000 students. Um, so, you know, will they ever get back to 35? Who knows? Yeah. I mean, I really don't know because I think there are a lot of other dynamics like, you know, remote learning that uh, I'm not sure we fully understand yet. Sure. Um, but, um, the other thing that's weighing heavily on the university is the demographic issue. Mm-hmm. You know, there are just less high school students than there used to be, and there are going to be less high school students for a period of time. Right. So, you know, how well can you market your school and brand it yeah. so that people want to come? Now, you know, we went 10 and 2 this year, and we're in the Cotton Bowl yeah. playing Ohio State. Yeah. You know, uh, Munchoy must be happy right. because, you know, maybe applications are up. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm speculating totally there. But but, but you do see the, the correlation. It certainly has do. happened historically. And, and uh, so when, you, when you're down 3,000 students, 4,000, 5,000 students, that really trickles down into the local economy. No, no question. Yeah. And so you see that in um, at, at retail, you see it in restaurants, you see it in the service industry. How about apartments? Yeah. You know, that old real estate yeah. component. Yeah. You know, um, so it, it is. It, Columbia takes a major hit. We sort of live and die by the university, we which do. Um, we do. Uh, probably people don't like, but that's just the reality. So um, we talked about education and healthcare and insurance. The last time we visited, we 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 kind of talked about an emerging uh, industry sector uh, in home loans. Um, um, talk a little bit about that because you know, with with the growth of uh, Flat Branch and and Veterans United and and a couple other companies. We're seeing a lot more jobs that are created around those industries, but do you see them uh, having the same kind of impact that maybe the healthcare sector uh, had at one point or will have? Uh, I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it used to be that we used to be education was the big driver, mm-hmm. which it still is. Okay. You know, a lot still of number pe- one. A lot of people forget how many students we have in town. I mean, we've got 31,000 at the university. Yeah. You know, we've got Columbia College, we've got Stevens College, yep. which had another four or five. Yep. We have nine or excuse me, eighteen thousand in Columbia Public Schools. Yeah. And then you've got, you know, the private schools, uh Moberly Junior College. Yeah. I mean, you know, you've got fifty five, sixty thousand students in town yeah. of one sort or another. Yeah. So that is really the big engine. Yeah. Uh the other one that's been a good driver for us is is the healthcare industry yeah. over time. But that one's going through some interesting times right now, as, mm-hmm. as you well know. Yeah. And uh, you, you know, know, you know what's interesting is that Boone has had a couple tough years, but their revenues have not fallen. Uh, they just it's become much more expensive to do business, and and it looks like the university healthcare system seems to be growing organically. You know, sort of gobbling up things in the rural areas that, uh, um, you know, and so really, um, it's not like Peter is 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 it's not like you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. You're actually. Uh, that industry, even though it's challenged, is still fairly healthy in terms of revenues. Yeah, and it's changed structurally because, you know, in your time and my time here, 
look, look at what has happened to outpatient surgery. Yeah. You know, if you need a, uh, a knee scoped or something, you'll do it in the basement of the orthopedic. Yeah. Yep. You know, and, and by the way, there are just a lot of outpatient surgeries that don't get done in hospitals yep. today. That's right. So that has really changed mm-hmm. over the last 30 years, yep. maybe 25, but there, there are structural changes there. And, and, um, you know, I'm not sure I know where it's going. I, I know my wife was in the hospital recently and mm-hmm. I didn't talk to her, our primary care doctor the whole time. I talked to somebody called a hospitalist. Yep. Pretty Which, common. By the way, I didn't like it. Right. You know, I mean, well, you know, you got educated. Yeah, that's you know, right. Don't yeah. wear me out telling you about yeah. medical history. Yeah, yep. let's talk to a primary care doctor. Yep. Yeah, it's frustrating. It's, <laughs> but it's anyway, a tough time to be a healthcare consumer. There's a lot sure. going on there. Yeah. Anyway, to going back to your question, yes, and but I'm going to pose it more like finance, and you know, throw in your banks and VU and and Flat Branch, and I mean. That that is an emerging sector here. It's mm-hmm. it's financing personal needs, whether it's a home loan or car loan or whatever. Uh, that is probably the third big branch now that's driving this this economy. Mm-hmm. It's all service related. You know, I mean, it's pretty commodity based. Yeah. But uh, what that, about insurance? So that that had always been sort of a, a stalwart in, in our local economy, but. Uh, now you talk to a lot of these insurance executives and they say, you know what? It's a terrible time to be in the insurance business. And just because of all the natural disasters and, and just, uh, everything that is happening, uh, you know, in the court system and so forth, um, it, are we in danger of that becoming something that it didn't used to be? Well, let's not forget we've lost, you know, arguably the biggest player in town is State Farm. Right. Right. You know, now Shelter is, of course, a, a very good employer and mm-hmm. they've got, I think, locally, 13, 1,500 employees. Um, and then you've got uh, Columbia Insurance Group. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, it's not what it used to be right. in this town. Yep. And I think every industry, you know, I, I think <laughs> we the pendulum swings. We, we go from over-regulation to under-regulation. They, they seem to have a hard time finding a happy medium in there. Yeah. And right now, you know, the pendulum, I think, is on too much regulation Mm -hmm. we need less and you know and occasionally then you have a problem and everybody runs for you know we got to control this more than than we have um but yeah i think i think healthcare, i think insurance both have some regulatory issues that they've got to deal with yeah and and yeah you're right this has been an unusual year for catastrophic losses for the insurance industry that's Jeff McCullen, uh, former chairman of the board of Landmark Banks. Uh, we are going to continue our visit with him about Columbia and Boone County's economy right after this. You're listening to the CEO Roundtable on 93.9 The Eagle. This is the CEO Roundtable with Fred Perry on 93.9 The Eagle. And welcome back to the CEO Roundtable show. Fred Perry, your host this weekend. We are visiting with Jeff McClellan. Uh, Jeff has been uh, uh, keeping track of Columbia's economy for over 35 years. Former chairman of the uh, Landmark Bank here in Columbia and in Texas and Oklahoma, and uh, just really 
keeping an eye on things, which always makes for a great conversation and, and, and really significant, his, you know, historical perspective, which I think is uh, an important way to look at. L- let me ask you about the Fed. Uh, hindsight's twenty twenty. Would you have done anything differently uh, now that you have seen how, how the markets have responded to everything the Fed did? Well, of course, it's it's easy to be a Monday morning quarterback. Yep. And, yep. But clearly, they were, they were telling us that uh, inflation was transitory. Mm-hmm. And they were late to the game to trying to fight, trying to fight that from a monetary policy standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, they should have started tightening rates six to nine months, probably before they did. Uh, so, you know, uh, that that I think is the single one thing they should have done. Uh, now they're pausing. You know, we'll see. Um, the What people tend to focus on is what is inflation today? You know, and it's down around 3%. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're up about 20% on average from three years ago. Yeah. You know, and you and I go to the grocery store or, or even gasoline. You know, gasoline was in the twos, yeah. uh, low twos, for three years ago. And we, right now we feel better because it's down from the upper threes, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, it's still up. Yeah. <laughs> and when you say 3% inflation, you're talking about year over year. Year over year. Yeah. And so. Um, but you forget there was yeah. 9% in there in one year, yeah. you know, and I mean, it was just <clears throat> too high. Painful. And that's an average too. You know, some things have actually come down, but other things are up more than 30%. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so, I mean, you and I still feel it. And yeah. So does everybody else, yeah. by the way. Well, I want to talk to you about Columbia Public Schools. You always have interesting uh, data to share about the public schools. You were the only person uh, in town that uh, shared that that was able to identify that during the pandemic, somehow Columbia Public Schools lost 900 students, just fell through the crack. It was a, uh, but you were the only person to really report that, uh, which was a, a valuable service. When you look at enrollment today in Columbia Public Schools, what what are you seeing? Well, I think we're at about 18.6 today. Mm. We actually went over 19,000 in uh, 2019, 2020. All right. So we're down a little bit. Do we know why we went up? Uh, we were growing at that time. Mm-hmm. The pandemic, I think, caused lots of people to sort of reconsider their alternatives. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think homeschooling became much bigger than yep. it had been. You know, all of a sudden people realized, well, I can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think people were upset with Columbia Public Schools for being closed and, uh, I can tell you, I have five grandkids here. Only one of them is in Columbia going to school because they had other alternatives mm-hmm. to stay in school. Yeah. And and by the way, that one that's here is at Father Tolton. Mm. Okay. So, so not exactly not in the public exactly. schools. <laughs> but anyway, I think there was a little bit of that feeling. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but the other thing that's interesting to me is we hit the 18,000 student level in 2017. And that's about where we are today. Hmm. It, it has been flat. For yeah. about six years. Now, part of that's probably demographic, although Columbia continues to grow. You know, one thing I, I didn't talk about earlier, but our population continues to grow about 2,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And, and on average, that's been a pretty good number. So like between 2 and 3%. That's right. Consistently. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And, you know, but so there are more kids coming to, to Columbia. Yeah. But the public schools are not growing. So very interesting. Anyway. And but the the level of support that they continue to receive, you know, through property taxes is continues to grow and somewhat dramatic schools continues to grow. Now, yeah. you know, certain schools get overcrowded and, and then they try and balance that out. But, uh, you know, the the uh, the cost keeps going up. Yeah. If there were and, and we're, we're going to try to avoid the topic of politics here, but if there were some some major uh, uh, 
you know, policy changes and just in terms of the way that uh, uh, you can pay for your child's education. Uh, would that be, would, based on, on the trends that you're seeing, would that be bad for Columbia Public Schools at this point? Hmm. Probably. Okay. Um, you know, but I, I need to say I'm not as close to school age kids as I used to be. Right. Particularly like when my kids And you're thankful for that, right? I am very thankful for that. <laughs> I don't have the energy. <laughs> Completely. I understand. But, uh, yeah. You know, I, uh, there's, there are others who could opine on that much, much more professionally yeah. than I could. Yeah. So looking at this, all of the things that we've talked about from 30,000 feet, uh, how would you assess Columbia's economy? I mean, would you say that, that, uh, uh, we have a very healthy economy? How, how would you describe it? You know, Columbia's economy over the years has been amazingly resilient mm-hmm. uh, because of its structure, I think. There's there's a lot of government financing here. I mean, you know, when you look at the two largest employers, there are 13,000 employees at MU and, and MU Healthcare. Yeah. You know, and that's just an awfully big chunk of 100,000 yeah. jobs. Could that be dangerous? Uh, it could be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think one of the things you and I have talked about in the past is what are our vulnerabilities? Mm-hmm. Well, when your education is as big a driver as it is, you know, what happens if that changes? Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't know. I'm not smart enough to figure that out. But that's clearly, you know, if you look at a concentration yeah. in, in one segment, you know, then a possibility yeah we i mean we we have reason to be concerned when you look at the the way that education has been delivered in years past and and the value of it uh, assigned to education in years past you know we have a lot of kids that are discovering trade schools where they can get a two years associate degree and make a lot more money than a four-year college uh, graduate and yeah and so uh, i think attitudes are changing about higher education and and that uh and you know, I have a lot of faith in people like Moon Choi uh, that they'll they'll figure it out and they'll they'll find a way to react to it and and keep us positioned to be strong. But it is uh, something that we probably should not take for granted. Oh, I, I totally agree with that. And you know, things are changing. I mean, technology continues changing all of our lives. And I think the way we learn, the way we communicate, the way you know, it just changes all the time. I mean, yeah. in a sense, I like it because it it energizes me to try and keep up with things. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they, they are changing. Yeah. What's the likelihood that we'll see two and a half, three percent mortgage rates again? I don't think you'll see them anytime soon. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm a little worried about how everybody's thinking that inflation is gone because, you know, you and I lived through the, the mid seventies to mid eighties mm-hmm. when inflation, they, they fought it and then they let it come back. And, uh, you know, I'm not telling you that's going to happen, but I've seen it happen before. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to be very careful. Um, and again, not to be political, but when I see we have a two trillion dollar deficit, you know, this past year without any war, any kind of pandemic, I mean, where did that money? Right. We spent two trillion dollars more than we took in. Yeah, you know, that's not sustainable. No, I've been pounding that drum for as long as yeah. I've been alive, and nobody's listening. Nobody's listening. <laughs> you know, and, and by the way, both sides of the aisle. I, uh, that, that I mean, that's yeah. just the truth. Yeah, <laughs> hard to point fingers. Yeah, um, when you look at um, you know, say you're listening to this radio program and you're trying to decide if you're, if you, if you want to move into a new home, a, a larger home, a better home, um, it, would you, is this a, is this a, a good time to do it or w- does it make sense to wait six months to a year? Well, we talked about home prices, <clears throat> yep. which still appear to be going up. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing we didn't talk about, but you know, you know, what's happened to the price of commodities over the last two oh, or yeah. three years. Yep. I mean, 
construction yeah, well, materials. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, so therefore buying or buying a new home is expensive. Mm-hmm. And, and if you do any kind of remodeling, you know that as well too. So my advice, you know, be patient. I think, I do think, although I don't know that rates will probably, uh, we have a bias to the downside. Yeah. You know, does that mean we'll get to a 5% mortgage rate, which I think is still a hell of a bargain. Yep. You know, in my lifetime, I mean, people today are, are too, you know, fixed on 3% mortgages. Yeah. yeah. I got 5% is awfully good. Yeah. You know, if you can afford it. Right. But so I think I'd be patient, but if the right thing pops up and rates come down, you know, I'd probably jump. Yeah. So uh, the numbers for a bank, uh, when, when rates are like this, uh, do banks do okay? Or are they, are, is there an adverse impact, uh, when you have a steep decrease in activity? Um, oh yeah. You get, you get impacted. Yeah. There are two things going on that affect banks right now. I mean, one, uh, an awful large part of our business was mortgage lending. Mm-hmm. And that's been, I won't say dead in the water, but it's been slow right. for, what, a year and a half? Mm-hmm. I'd say since March of 2022. Mm-hmm. That affects you because banks, one, don't keep their fixed rate mortgages. They sell them to either Freddie Mac or Fannie Mae. Right. So they don't keep them, but they'll they'll keep a spread. Mm-hmm. Um but the that other, spread's getting smaller, I would yeah, guess. Yeah. The other thing that affects banks is rising <clears throat> interest rates. They get squeezed because they do have some fixed rate assets, mm-hmm. bonds, right? Being the biggest yeah. one, which got a lot of banks in trouble. Which, uh, yeah, you, know, you had some failures yeah. due to that. You yeah. know, they the value of their bond portfolio sunk by, in some cases, billions. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, banks get squeezed when rates are going up, and 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 the housing market is not strong. Yeah, is there anything that Columbia? should be doing right now to sort of um, lay fertile ground for a healthier economy? Is there anything that we just sort of have not been paying attention to that we ought to pay attention to? I think Columbia missed the boat years ago, Fred, and there have been lots of efforts, but in commercializing research out of the university, Mm. you know, and I think think I've seen a lot of good things in the last 10 years, Yep, but I still think that's a great opportunity. There is some tremendous research that's taken place. And, um, you know, those things can be commercialized. We need a better way to finance the yep. startups, yep. you know, some venture capital here in town of, of good amounts. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you look at a place like Austin, Texas, my God, you know, I mean, Austin's blossomed because they jumped on, you know, uh, commercializing research out of the University yeah. of Texas. Transferring that technology from the, the academic lab to it. the marketplace. And, and, and that and, is probably something we missed the boat on yeah. somewhat. Is it too late? Can we still no, hop on? I don't on? think yeah. so at all. Yeah. And, and I like some of the things I see coming out of the university. Yeah. You know, like the next gen. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. I think that the, we really, we stumble on, um, you know, the intellectual property. We, we stumble on getting the financial uh, aspects together. And, and so there's just, uh, and these, these, you know, financiers, these venture capital firms on the coast are saying, if we're going to finance you, we need you to bring your business out here. You know, we're, we're not going to manage it in Columbia, Missouri. And so that is always a, an uphill battle for, uh, for the opportunities that we do have. So just uh, looking at, you yeah, know, go ahead. That, that yeah. said, we're much more uh, broad based today and diversified. Our economy is than it used to be. Mm-hmm. That's the good news. Yeah. The bad news is we're probably a little more susceptible to nationwide recessions yeah. and that kind of thing than we used to be. Yeah. It looks like we're doing a pretty good job of sort of fostering uh, entrepreneurial activity in, in our community. You know, you see some of these startups that have done very well 
uh, based here in Columbia. Uh, but it looks like we can do better, especially yeah, when it comes yeah. to that academic research. Yeah. So. But, you know, I think our economy is generally still pretty good. Yeah. You know, except for employment. You know, we just can't seem to find enough people. Yeah. But by the way, that's a nationwide phenomenon. Right. Right. You know, it's, I mean, everybody's still looking for people to hire. Yeah. Jeff, we appreciate your time. Uh, Jeff McClellan, the former chairman of the board of Landmark Banks. And, and uh, we appreciate you uh, doing this valuable community service. It's really uh, it, it's great to every now and then just stop and look at where we've been and, and uh, how things have changed. And so we appreciate the good work that you do. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, Fred. All right. Great to have you as always. Uh, Happy New Year to you. Likewise. Folks, we'll be back next weekend with another edition of the CEO Roundtable. Thanks for tuning in this weekend. You've been listening to the CEO Roundtable on 93.9 The Eagle.